Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Opportunity to worship together. Thank you all for leading us in song and uh, being able to shout our praise to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Sometimes we... uh, kind of forget that he's really here, you know, that we can speak to him and he hears us and uh, he's in the praises of his people. So it's a wonderful time to worship together. Hope you're having a good summer. Hope you enjoyed a little refreshing uh, rainfall last night. Uh, it got pretty chilly if you went outside. It was like 60 degrees and I felt like I needed to turn the heat on because I'm used to it being 90, you know. So I was like, man, it's, it's cold out there. Let's get the fire going. But uh, kind of refreshed everything. It looks like the sun is starting to peek out a little bit. And during the summer, we like to do our activities and our vacations. We don't really care a lot for the rain, right? But we needed a little bit of that refreshment uh, that God brings. I have a friend who uh, likes to do a lot of kind of extreme sports activities. And so summertime is big for that. And I uh, talked to him recently and um, was wondering if he had, you know, done any kayaking. He kayaks over waterfalls and jumps out of airplanes and stuff. And so I said, hey. How's your summer going? Have you done anything extreme lately? And he said, yeah, I did, in fact. Uh, I said, I went to a family reunion, and I brought up politics. (laughs) You all started laughing at the family reunion part. (laughs) So he was way beyond that, bringing up politics at the family reunion. That We all know in this environment, right, that's pretty extreme. That's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Um, The environment that we're living in, it can get pretty uncivil out there, right? And we've all seen examples of that, and it seems like it's going more and more that way, especially in politics. Politics is just one area, but it's kind of highlighted for us. There's so much division, and there's so much pushing people into different camps, and the backbiting, and the mudslinging, and just from all quarters, things that, you know, if I were to repeat some of the things that people say about each other in that sphere from up here, it would be embarrassing, I don't, I don't want to say some of those things, right, because I'd be embarrassed to say them and you would be embarrassed to hear them. And that's kind of the level that it's gone to. And, you know, we see all around us um, this kind of thing is, is more and more prevalent. And I think this is actually Chicago, by the way. When I was looking at this as a Chicago boy, I was like, hey, that's Wells Street. And they look cold. So I think it's Chicago. There's a Bears fan. And uh, I don't know exactly what this is, but this is pretty common. This looks like it's being conducted peacefully, which is great. All credit to that. But... I could show you pictures of these types of situations that devolve from peaceful, right? And very disturbingly become scenes of fighting and violence. But it begins with people shouting and calling each other names and pointing the finger. And it quickly goes downhill from that. And politics is just one realm. We see this trend toward incivility in many different areas of life, don't we? Just out in public, the way that people treat each other. just interacting with people in, in the store just every day, there's just a lack of civility that we give to each other. There's always somebody that wants to assert their rights, and you have to acquiesce to that, and there's anger that comes quickly and can boil over quickly into rage. And you just feel like, where are we with some of this stuff? You know, there are some voices out there, um, even, even political office holders and newscasters and people that observe culture that say, we need to try to return to a better standard, a better level of civility, don't we, in our public discourse. We need to try to get back to that where you can have a conversation and you can disagree and you can still be respectful about that. But it seems like those calls are falling on deaf ears, that those, those voices really are not being 
really heard or heeded, doesn't it? And so today as we talk about civility and our society, I actually don't want to dwell on our society or how we navigate that. That's an important topic. But what I want to talk about is how it affects us in the church and a risk or a danger that we have in the church. Because we, we swim in this culture. Our culture surrounds us in such a way that we don't even always, we don't recognize that it's there, right? When you're in the midst of a particular environment that seems normal to you, you don't, unless you intentionally stand back and take a look at it, you, you don't really see what's distinct about it. You don't see the day-to-day changes, like looking in the mirror every day. Um, you don't see the day-to-day changes that happen even in yourself, but if you only looked once every five years, you'd say, whoa, what happened there? And so I think our culture, <laughs> maybe every day you say, whoa, what happened there? I don't know. I think I'm getting to that point, actually. Um, but we need to stand back and say, whoa, what happened there? Because our risk and our danger as Christians, is that the ways that are becoming more and more normal of relating to each other in our culture will become more and more normal for the way that we relate to each other and regard each other in the church. And we won't see that happening. And that's something we must not do. But it's a, it's a real risk because, oop, I hit the backwards button. Just like these rafters are headed downstream here, you can see there's very little chance that they can turn this thing around and go upstream in this torrent, right? And so that, that rapid river is kind of a, a metaphor for culture. It just carries us along and we're kind of in the middle of it and we try to steer. But I want us to see this morning from what Paul challenges us with in Ephesians that we can't just be carried along like this. And we can't get to a place in the church where we treat each other the way that more and more people are treating each other in the culture. In fact, I want us to see that civility, being civil to each other, is not really the standard for our relationships, that there's a higher standard. It goes beyond being civil when we're talking about life in the church. So let's look at at Ephesians chapter 4 together. If you want to turn there or you can follow along here or flip there or scroll there, whatever method you're using this morning. Paul's got some challenging words for us in Ephesians chapter 4 as he addresses this topic. Let me just read this for us. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Skipping down to verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, quoting the Old Testament. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Oh, this is getting harder, isn't it? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Some of those uncivil things that are going on around us. Along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So the standard that Paul is laying out here for us, it's way beyond civility, isn't it? It, civility is, 
it's so far off the back of the boat, you can't even see it anymore. This is such a higher standard. Hopefully you sense that from those verses in Ephesians 4. Let's unpack that a little bit. He says, first, I want you to live a life. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We claim to be people of God. We claim to be a fellowship that God dwells in. We claim that God has called us to himself, right? And so Paul is saying, your life and your actions, and most critically, the way that you treat each other within this body, need to reflect that state of higher calling that you've received. If you're a people of God, then you need to show it in the way that you treat each other. And we show that by the way that we reflect the way that God has treated us. So it's got to be worthing. Paul's urging this. So we see right there that this is not something that happens automatically, right? He's urging. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Humility, we know, is it's a state that doesn't seek to assert itself, right? It doesn't put itself forward for importance, for prominence. It doesn't seek to elevate its rights over those of another. But to act in humility is to step back from those things, to step back from some of those claims. It's to retreat a little bit, right? Not to put yourself forward, following the attitude of Christ. Being gentle, that's a, we don't often think, do we, of our relationships about being gentle. That's a great word that Paul uses to challenge us, that we need to be gentle in the way that we handle things, in the way that we speak, in the way that we re- regard each other. And he goes on and says, be patient. And I think he explain, explains what he means by patient when he says, bearing with one another in love. So what does that mean? What is, why, why does he say Patience, why does he describe it in that way? It's to bear with one another in love. We all know that as we, uh, we come to the church and we come to our relationships, uh, we come from different places. We come from different backgrounds and different um, points of view, right, and different personalities. God has made us with a, a great variety of personality. And so we come and then what do we do? We, what are our favorite phrases for this? We rub each other the wrong way. We step on each other's toes, right? So common that we have little metaphors for describing that. And so I think in Paul, when he says, bear with one another in love, he's saying, you know what, those little ways that we irritate each other or the word that's spoken carelessly, that we don't think about, that causes harm, the way that we get in each other's way, step on each other's toes, get ahead of one another, he says we have to learn at some level to overlook those things, right? To not lower the hammer, drop the boom on somebody for every little thing, every little way that they rub us wrong. Because that's going to happen. I bet some of you have even experienced that here, haven't you, occasionally? It's going to happen. But the reality is, is that we're people that need grace, right? When we do those things carelessly, thoughtlessly, sometimes even intentionally, we need people to give us grace. And so that's why Paul says you need to bear with one another, one of the great one another's in the New Testament, because you're going to need somebody to extend grace to you as well. But these are the things that go towards keeping the peace. I think what, what Paul's trying to say here is, When you think about your relationships and the way that you treat other people in the church, you need to have a picture, this picture of gentleness again, that you're taking extreme care and caution with those relationships, right? You're not doing anything that will upset that. Just like you would handle a baby chick. It's fragile, it's gentle. And Paul Paul isn't saying that we're all fragile, gentle people, although some of us are. But we need to think of our relationships each other in this way. We need to take care and take steps to protect that, right? Be very cautious with those things. Let's go on and see what he says. He says, make every effort to keep this unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so again, as he urges, he says, make every effort. This is not something that will happen automatically. This is something that we have to pursue. We have to strive for wholeheartedly. If we get complacent, 
It's easy to just drift away from this, isn't it, if we're not thinking about what we're doing. We have to make an effort to do this. But here's a great key, and here's a great promise. I see here there's a unity of the Holy Spirit that we have as a fellowship in the church, that we have together, that it's possible to have, first of all. If we're not experiencing it, we're missing it, but it's possible to have, and God even wants us to experience that kind of unity. And here's the amazing thing. Because we're talking about the unity of the Spirit, there's a unity that we can have in the church that God calls us to that you can't experience anywhere else in the world. Have you thought about that? The unity of the Spirit should be a unity. It is a unity that is unique to the life of the church because for every believer, God has given the Spirit. We live and breathe and move in the Spirit. We worship the Spirit. We worship in spirit and truth. So the Spirit defines and encapsulates us and encompasses us in the church from within our very selves. So the church should be a place of a unity that is incredible and amazing and cannot be experienced over the long term in the world. That's a great question to ask ourselves. Is our church different than the world? What is, what is that mirror telling us as we hold that up? There's a unity that we can have. I want that. I want that for our church. I want that for myself. But we have to make every effort to pursue it. We can't become complacent about that. And as we strive for that, Paul tells us this unity is actually grounded in the very root and nature of God himself and God's characteristics. And it's in who he is and in the purpose for which he's called us to. There's one body. There's one spirit. We've all been given that spirit. One Lord, one faith, one spiritual baptism. We get baptized in the water, but we're baptized into Christ, aren't we? He baptizes with fire, with the Holy Spirit. We've all been baptized into that. And that unity exists within the very nature of God, the unity of the Trinity, and yet there's diversity, just like in the church. God has brought us together out of diversity, but he calls for unity. It's his highest desire for us. Our God and Father, one God and Father, who's over all and through all and in all. So we have to strive for that spiritual unity and make every effort to keep the peace amongst us. Oh, I went backwards again. I don't know why I keep going backwards. <laughs> we don't want to go backwards in civility. We need to be going forwards. Paul goes on here to talk about some of our critical actions and the way that we relate to each other, our speech, right? And uh, a high standard, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. What's not helpful? He contrasts that with only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Boy, if we could even approach that standard of never saying a word that's unhelpful and only saying what's going to be good for building others up, that would be amazing, right? If you could say seldom is heard a discouraging word in the church, that would be hitting a really high standard. But that's, Paul is calling us to that, to think about what we're saying. Think about what we're, what we're talking about. He, he talks about anger and forms of malice and rage, and not communicating that and what we say to each other, not letting that bubble over. I want to uh, especially challenge and say a word to the younger people in the congregation today, um, because I think for you there, there's a particular danger or, or a particular challenge in, in your life, the stage of life that you're in when you're younger, maybe you're a young couple or you're a student. I think you tend to swim as a younger person even more. You're more deeply involved in the popular culture in some ways. There's music, there's movies, things that you watch, and those are the things that your peers are all kind of dwelling in and talking about, right? And so you're drawn into those things, and it becomes part of your life stream. You don't get old and crusty like some of we are, like I'm getting where I don't care anymore what people think, you know. Did you see that? No. 
I was probably napping. Um, <laughs> but you can't, when you're younger, man, you got you to be with it, right? You got to know what's going on out there. And so, so you're exposed, if you're younger, to all of these things that are coming down that current of our society. And I just want to challenge you because a lot of those are, they're antithetical to the standard that Paul is laying out here for our speech and the way that we treat each other. And if you're constantly absorbing that, again, those guys in the raft, it's going to be really hard to kind of swim against that, the more of that that you put in your mind. We had a, a repairman out to the house not too long ago, and he was sharing with us his encounter with God. He had, had some difficult things in his life, and um, he was talking about encountering God and his life changing. And one of the things he said was, he realized that the music that he was listening to, it was really affecting his outlook on life every day. Um, in his job, he drives around a lot, and he was listening to a lot of kind of heavy music and grunge music and music with dark themes. And admittedly, some of those things go along with what's happening in our society. But he realized that he needed to change his outlook, and so he started changing his music and listening to things that were more upbeat, things that had different themes. I'm guessing he probably went to the 80s, because that was all, you know... It was a great decade. It was a happy decade, I think. You can tell when I grew up, right? There was some weird stuff there too, though. Boy. Um, but he changed his music. And he said his outlook on life and the way that he just started to think about his life and the possibilities of the day, they, they took on a different hue then because he changed what he was putting in. So you change your input and you change your outlook. And if your input is constantly in this vein of, you know, there's such such a level of denigrating speech and it's, it's funny, it's cool to be cutting, to be sarcastic. That's what we see everywhere in popular culture. You gotta step back from that and stop absorbing so much of that. And that, that's a message that we all need to hear really, not, not just the younger among us. We need a different level of input so we can change our outlook and we can change our outflow in terms of how we, we relate to each other. So I really appreciated uh, what he had to say about that. Well, how far does this go? I mean, if you're a believer in Christ or if you've been around the church for even a little while, you've probably looked at Ephesians 4 or a lot of the similar passages in the scriptures that talk about this, right? We know that we're called to a standard of love. We know we're called to a higher standard in how we treat one another. Hopefully this isn't new to you. Um, I hope if you are newer to the church or newer to the Bible or faith that, that this is refreshing to you, actually. We don't always fulfill this very well, admittedly. But I fear that because this is familiar to us, we kind of say, yeah, we, you know, we hear the Apostle Paul, we've seen this. And what we kind of hear is we think God is really calling us to be nice to each other, right? That's sort of the sum total. We think God, he's calling us to be civil and kind and uh, have a little patience in our relationships and to be nice to each other. But that's not true. It goes so far beyond that, and as we dig into the Ephesians passage, we see that. But I want to call up another real-life example that Paul gave uh, as he spoke to another church and challenged them uh, in the place kind of where the rubber hits the road. Like, what does this really look like? And there's a, there, there are a couple great examples in the New Testament, but there's one from 1 Corinthians that I think is particularly helpful to us this morning as we look at this. Uh, many of you know that the church at Corinth was just a, it was a fractious, divided body, right? And Paul, I mean, the initial two-thirds of his first letter to the Corinthians were to try to get them back on track and to say, you need to change the way that you're going. They, they really had like sort of a like taking sides mentality in the church. And they were choosing different heroes. And, and they were really tribal. And they were um, in conflict with one another. And Paul is saying through his whole letter, hey, hey, that's, that's not the way that God calls you to behave in the church. And he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he points to a specific example of this. 
where he, he calls them out and he says, I understand that in your church at Corinth that there are brothers and sisters that are taking each other to court over their conflicts, right? So if it was, if it was here in our present situation, we're going to run each other down to the Franklin County Courthouse, right? Right there, which it's such a nice-looking scene, isn't it? It's hard to imagine the, the levels of conflict that go on inside here because it looks so pleasant, doesn't it? But, uh, but that's the reality. You go to court when you are locked in an intractable dispute. And you're completely in, on opposite sides of the field when you're ready to file a lawsuit, right? And so Paul is very strong in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about what this means for their church. And so I want us to look at some of that. He says, in the midst of this, Instruction to them about their, their conflict with each other. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? You hear him calling them out here. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you, he says. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. This is key. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? This kind of goes to the place of ultimate warning there, doesn't it? Don't you know people who live this way, whose lifestyle demonstrates this, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, yes, I'm talking to you in the church. So Paul here is, uh, he's giving them a direct challenge, and he says to them, do you dare, I mean, you can just hear he's almost incredulous, right? Do you dare take your dispute and your conflict out into public, out of the church walls? He says, God has given every gift, he's given wisdom through the Spirit for those things to be resolved here in the church. He says, don't you understand that? But he says, more than that, do you dare take your dispute out to people that, may not understand your lifestyle or your spiritual perspective to ask them for a judgment. And in doing so, you're dragging the name of Jesus and his reputation through the mud in front of people outside the church. You can just hear how hard Paul is being on them for adopting that attitude. Would you dare do that? And he goes on to say, you've already been defeated, Church of Corinth. This is where you're at. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated. Think about those words again for a moment. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? He says that to them as if that, that thought should have already occurred to them. Shouldn't, you, shouldn't that be the position that you take rather than taking your disputes and your lawsuits out into the public arena outside the church? I think those are some of the most challenging words in the Bible, actually, as you read those, because what Paul is saying is, there's a calling here and there's an understanding that we should have that we, we come to a place where the peace in the church and the name of Jesus is so important that we're not willing to exert or to claim our own rights in a way that that would damage that. That we're willing to step back 
and relinquish those rights. We're willing to lay down our own rights, even when we're in the right sometimes, to say for the sake of the peace of Christ and for the sake of the church and its reputation, I'm going to lay down my claim to this. Even if somebody is actually taking advantage of me here, that's the attitude I'm going to have. That's the attitude that Jesus had, wasn't it? When they accused him, when they brought false testimony before him, against him, he did not open his mouth. But he could have. He could have. Where would we be if he had opened his mouth in those moments? So Paul, I think he's calling to mind the example of Jesus. He, he refers to him in our passages today and says, there's a place, brothers and sisters, where you lay down your life for the sake of the church and for the sake of unity within the church. Oswald Chambers here, who ironically looks a little bit like Al Capone to me, and I don't know if it's the photo, but he says the only right that a Christian has is the right to give up his rights. He's, he's referring to exactly what Paul is saying here, isn't he? There comes a place in our relationship where the right that you have, the prerogative that God gives us through his grace is to say, I'm going to give up what's actually due me for the sake of this church, for the sake of peace. That's a very, very challenging place to be. And I want to call us back to one more thing that Paul said there. He says, if this is the place where you're at in your church, this is the place where you're at in your relationships, if it's gotten to this level, you are already defeated. You have already lost. You are completely outside the purpose and the calling that God has for you and for your church. In fact, we like to say you're out in the weeds somewhere, right? You're off the road. You're off the path. You're out in the jungle. The trail is running out. You're lost. That's the picture of where we're at spiritually if we're in conflict with each other and we let it get to that level. And we don't want that. Don't we want to see God alive and active in our church body and accomplishing what he has called us to do? We don't want to be off in the weeds completely defeated. There's no place for that. There's no room for that. And Paul just doesn't equivocate about it at all. As we think about this this morning and, and we begin to think through situations and what does it really mean to lay down my life and give up my rights? That's way beyond civil, isn't it? It just leaves it so far behind. There's a couple things that I need to understand that in the church also as we, we round this out with our perspective on Scripture. There are a couple things that, that this standard does not call us to that it does not mean. So here's a little bit of balance on that perspective as no doubt you're thinking through some situations that you've been in or that you've seen, right? And by the way, I just want to say, in talking from 1 Corinthians 6, I'm not aware of any lawsuits within our church. There could be some. I don't know, so I'm not trying to speak directly to that, and I'm not trying to speak directly into situations of conflict. In my church experience, the churches that I've seen, been a part of, I think King Street is really commendable overall in pursuing that standard. Um, and so I'm not speaking directly at anybody. Um, but... I know that there's always work to do, right? And we need to be reminded of these things. That's why we gather Sunday after Sunday. We need the reminder that the word brings to us. Because if we're to be intentional about it, we have to remember what God is calling us to. And it's, it's easy to, to let that go and become complacent. So I just wanted to say that. I'm not speaking to any particular thing that I'm aware of in our church. But God is calling us to higher. He's calling us to better. But what the standard does not mean, number one, it doesn't mean that we never disagree with each other. It doesn't mean that. God, has, God uses our vast diversity and the backgrounds that we've come from, and he brings that together and he weaves that together in the life and fellowship of the church. 
And those differences are, are going to cause disagreements, and we're going to have different perspectives. And God actually wants to use that in the life of our fellowship to teach us and to stretch us. The Old Testament uses that image of iron sharpening iron, and that kind of makes me think of a, a blacksmith shop. And when you've got iron sharpening iron, you've got things being forged and broken off and in the fire, uh, there's going to be some noise, there's going to be some heat, right? There's some disagreement in that process of iron sharpening iron. It's not a quiet, easy process necessarily. But the calling is where we disagree to seek reconciliation and even in the disagreement to not be disagreeable. That's a very difficult calling, isn't it? Because we tend to want to just retreat to our viewpoints and our culture is encouraging us to do that now and just to say, well, you're in another camp, you're unredeemable. That, that's our attitude toward it. But to disagree, but to still seek the benefit and the edification of the other person in those differences of perspectives. The other thing I want to clearly say is that this doesn't mean that we don't confront sin in the life of the church or in the life of believers where we see that that's hurting them. Because sin is a big deal. Jesus shed his blood because of the effects and the unrighteousness of sin and the effects that it has on our relationship with God and with each other. So sin is not a little deal, and that's not something where we say, well, you know, to keep the peace, I feel like we probably shouldn't, you know, we're just going to stay away from that. No, no, no. We address sin in the life of the church. But again, we do it not to elevate ourselves and not out of judgmentalism, but to say, brother, sister, this is hurting you. This is something that God calls you away from. God wants to move you beyond this, right? God, it's about transformation. God's doing that in all of our lives. So we do that with grace, but we do confront sin, and, and that's what Paul was actually doing in, in these passages, isn't it? With all of the spiritual authority of an apostle. So we don't back away from those things. And sometimes it's, it's even helpful, I think, to have a referee, right? This is a, those of you that aren't really into soccer, this is a World Cup referee. I've never really watched a whole soccer game until this year. Watched a little bit of that. Um, but the referee is there, right? When things get a little chippy and, and get a little physical in whatever game you're playing, the referee is there to kind of put a stop to that and say, hold on, hold on. Here's the rules that we play by. Here's the way that we keep this within the bounds of proper etiquette, right? Here's the way that we disagree without being disagreeable and keep everybody's interests in mind. And so that's partly what, as Paul has pointed us to, the leadership of the church is here for that, to help with those kinds of situations. There are also people and shepherds and people of wisdom everywhere throughout the life of this congregation that we think we should feel free to turn to and say, you know what, we're having trouble with something. We're working through a dispute. We're not seeing eye to eye, and it's causing problems. We need somebody to come in and help us work through this, somebody who's objective, who can just help us keep to the proper rules of the game as God would have them, right? We need those peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's a critical role in our church, but we need to seek that out. God has placed those people there. Just like when he, he talked to the believers of Corinth and said, don't you know there's people in the church that can settle those things for you? We need to hear that message as well. From small to large, sometimes it helps to bring in a peacemaker. Well, there were some warnings in those texts about what happens if we don't follow God's call in this. And we, we know, for one, that we get completely off the road and we're so bogged down that we, we'll fail to accomplish the things that God is calling us to as a church if we do that. He also talks in Ephesians 4 about giving the devil a foothold in your anger. And we know what that means, allowing the devil to come in and once he gets his foot in there and then he gets his shoulder in there and then he starts to drive a wedge, right? 
divide and conquer, it's the oldest military strategy in the world. If you can get the unified group to separate and move them apart from each other, their strength is gone. And of course the devil knows that, and so he uses division and conflict within the life of the church to try and defeat us and move us completely off of God's purposes for us. But we are not unaware of his schemes, right? Scripture says that. We're not unaware of his schemes. So let's wake up and not be unaware or not be caught unaware. You know what can happen if we, uh, if we fail to do this, if we fail to heed the call that Paul is giving us. It reminds me of a story of a man who was out for his uh, walk one day and his walk took him near the bridge every day. And as he came to the bridge that day, he saw a guy that was standing at the rail and looked like he was getting ready to jump. And so he came up and he said, wait, hey, hey, wait, don't do this. You know, what's the matter? And the guy said, well, I, I've just, th- there's nobody that loves me. And so the man that found him said, well, God loves you. Do, do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? And he said, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I believe God loves you. And the man said, well, yeah, I, I believe that God loves me. He said, are you, are you a Christian? He said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, are you, are you a Christian? Are you a Catholic? Are you a Protestant? Where do you come from? He said, well, I'm a Protestant. And the man that found him there said, well, me too. And he said, well, what, what brand of Protestant are you? And he said, uh, well, I'm uh, I'm a, a Baptist. And the guy said, oh, are you really? I am too. He said, are you, are you a Northern Baptist or are you a Southern Baptist? And the <laughs> I'm not to the punchline yet. I mean, give me a chance. And the guy said, well, I'm, I'm Northern Baptist. And the guy said, well, this is amazing. I, I've, God brought me here to you, I think. I, I'm Northern Baptist too. Are you a Northern Conservative Baptist or are you Northern Liberal Baptist? And the guy said, well, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. This is amazing. Well, are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? And the guy said, well, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. Me too. Amazing. Well, are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1897 or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And the guy at the rail said, well, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the man who found him there said, die, heretic. And he pushed him off the bridge. I love that story. And, and honestly, I'm glad that's written with, to, towards Baptists because you could write a little bit of UB history into that, couldn't you? I actually could have transposed some UB history division and branching out into that little joke. But it shows us in a funny way where we can head when we let those divisions get ahead of us, completely away from the purposes of God and even to the point where we hate and disrespect one another. That's where it can lead. So Paul says, don't let that happen. Wake up. Be intentional about your relationships. So this morning, I hope you, uh, you see along with me that the standard that God calls us to is really the gold standard in Christ. Forgive each other as God has forgiven us in Christ. From the small offenses to the large ones. We need to work through those. We need to take caution and pains to protect our relationship. We need to pursue the, the promise of spiritual unity that God has made possible and put out there for us to pursue. And so this morning, if you're in a place as you think through your relationships here with other believers, if there are things that need to be said, I want to challenge you to say those things. If there's reconciliation that needs to be sought, If there are apologies that need to be made, I want to challenge all of us to pursue those things. If you need to bring in a peacemaker, someone to help you work through that, whether that's someone 
that you trust, who has a lot of wisdom, or somebody from church leadership, then bring those people in. This is too critical to let slide. If you need to be at a place where you say, you know what? I need to lay down myself and my rights for the sake of Christ, for the sake of unity in the church. I'm going to lay them down after the example of Jesus. Then let's do that. But I challenge each one of us to think through where we are on those things and to take the action that Paul is calling us to so that we're not out in the weeds, but we're running right down the path of what God is calling us to and what he wants to accomplish in the life of our church. And if we do that, the church will look like such a haven of peace. It will not fail to stand out. It can't help but stand out to the rest of the world as it gets carried away on its own current of incivility. So let's make a pledge to each other that we'll pursue that together. Would you pray with me? Father, the things that you call us to um, through the words of Paul this morning and in these different situations, these are hard things. This is uh, definitely in the category of easier said than done. And so we ask for your help, Lord Jesus. Once again, we open ourselves to you. We ask you to come and search us, to show us, are we engaging in this? Are we doing things that are unhelpful? Are we doing things that cause conflict? Do we have our priorities in the wrong place? Are you even asking us to lay ourselves down for the sake of unity in the church and to relinquish our rights I pray that you would show us those things and I pray that you would give us the strength to accomplish that in the life of your church, God. We want to be people that fulfill all that you call us to and that live for your glory and honor and make your name well known and in a good way. And so help us to get division as far from here as we can, Lord. Help us to seek the peace of the spirit that you've given. We pray, we ask through the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services. We look forward to seeing you there.